just uh, before we start, um, could I chat to the elders after the service? Uh, so just uh, we'll meet up, up in my office just after, after communion. Thanks. So 20 things that we should say more often. Sounds simple enough, and yet so often we have trouble with our words, or sometimes we get into trouble because of our words. Speech is how we communicate. It's not the only way that we communicate, but it, it is the primary way that we humans communicate. Um, you, you, you spend any time in the presence of uh, the female half of the species, you will know that body language is also a really good way of communicating. Uh, they can say something with their mouth, but mean something completely different by the way that they're looking at you whenever they say it. Um, you know, remember when, whenever your wife says that it's fine, it is not fine. You know, you'll ask her something like, oh, hey, honey, are you angry? No, I'm fine. That means you've got two minutes before you make it right. Um, or figure out what you did wrong and then make it right. Because uh, the scale goes, great, okay, not okay, it's terrible, it's fine. <laughs> so even though we really do rely on speech, anyone who loses that ability, who's restricted, often finds it so much harder to communicate. Speech is important. And especially so whenever you realize that words can either delight or destroy. And scripture's crammed full of verses that highlight the importance of our speech, the importance of what we say. James is normally the go-to text for this, um, but I'll be going through Proverbs this morning uh, and picking out a few things. But James has a lot to say about the tongue. James is, the whole premise of the book of James is, look, it's, it's, you want anyone to believe that Jesus is really in you, then they have to see it. They have to see it. If Jesus is in you, then it'll be proof by what's coming out. And that theme is shared, or one of the themes that is shared by the book of Proverbs. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I say, wow, that's really big. That's really, you know, Proverbs really saying, look, it's really important what we say. And a really clear message on that is, is comes in, in Proverbs 6. It says that there's six things that the Lord hates Seven that are an abomination. I'm thinking, oh, this is a really heavy passage. This is really strong stuff. What does God hate? What's an abomination to him? Well, haughty eyes, pride, arrogance, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And there's the, the sort of the gardening metaphor, sowing seeds. All right, well, this is the seed of discord this morning. We're going to look at the mustard seed tonight, but we're looking at the, sow, the sowing seeds of discord this morning. Now, that language is really strong, right? You'd agree that the, the way kind of God's talking about this is, you sort of go, right, I have to pay attention to this. If God is going to come up with a list of things that he doesn't like, you might want to pay attention to it. You might want to sort of say, right, well, it might be worth at least running my eye over that. Because if he's going to come out strongly against these things, You've got to pay attention to it. Now, this whole, oh, there's six things, but there's seven things. Where does that come from? Well, it's because lying is mentioned twice. Uh, number two on the list, uh, a lying tongue, and number six, a false witness. It's the same thing, basically, uh, but a different context. So notice, though, that so many of the things that God hates has to do with what's coming out of our mouths. Uh, so much of it has to do with our tongue. A false witness, a lying tongue, and for today, we'll brush over the, the technical differences there because both are knowingly telling someone what you know is not true. It's deceiving. 
It's lying. And remember, you're never more like the devil than when you, you start telling lies. Think of it. I think it's why it, it perhaps is one of the things that most naturally comes to, to children who don't know the difference between right and wrong. They just tell a lie. It's, just, it's instinctive. John 8, 44 says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. The father lies. Straight out of the devil's textbook. It's straight of him. And so sowing seeds of discord then. This is where I want to focus this morning. Um, And the idea here is about people who use gossip, who use words and stories to hurt people. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's untrue. This is not about telling lies. You could very well hurt people simply by telling people a story that is true. But when you tell people that story, when you share that information, it leaves people hurt. It leaves people hurting. And that's sowing discord, sowing division. Romans 16 will give you a similar idea. And Paul's writing to the church and he says, I appeal to your brothers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church in, in Rome. And he says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught Avoid them, for such people don't serve our Lord Jesus, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And look, look at how they do it. Look at how they cause divisions and go against the doctrine. By smooth talk and flattery, they'll deceive hearts. Okay, so words have real power here. And the seeds of poor words can cause divisions, whether it's rumors or gossips or doubt all from smooth talk, from flattery. And yet, at the same time, one of my favorite Proverbs is, again, about words. Proverbs 25 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. It's like something that is so rich and so pure and so sweet, and it's just framed, it's ordained, and it's just beautiful. And so the idea is that bad words can be really destructive, but good words are really precious. So words are important. Now, it is easier said than done, literally. Mark Twain once said that the difference between the right words and the almost right words is the same difference between lightning and a lightning bug. There isn't really much of a comparison. Now, I'll not ask for a show of hands, but has anyone ever put their foot in their mouth? You know what I'm saying? You know, whenever um, you you sort of are talking about someone and then all of a sudden it goes, oh, they're behind me, aren't they? Yeah, okay, they're standing behind me. Oh, this isn't good. Or you you send a message uh, about someone and instead of sending it to that person that you meant to send it to, you send it to the person that you were talking about. Uh, Or you're you're having a conversation, you make a joke and you think, I'm hilarious. And then you sort of look up and go, everyone's staring at me. What did I say? What, what's hap- what do they know that I don't know that changes the context of what I just said? And we kind of have that foot and mouth syndrome. That kind of thing, it's not great. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. Um, and if we're honest, we've all done it in one shape or form or another. But we don't really tend to beat ourselves up about it too much. We kind of give ourselves a bit of a margin because we've all done it. And yet God says this idea of tearing people down instead of building people up with our words, I hate it. I despise this. Uh, and, yet, and he says the right kind of words, they're precious. 
So as you look at this kind of seed that we sow, this harvest that we reap, it's worth realizing that it's not a small thing to think about our words. Words are powerful. A judge that brings the gavel down on a sentence, I sentence you to 10 years. Words have an impact. Or you think of, of a lawyer trying to argue the case that convinces the jury that the person is innocent. You go free. Oh, what a powerful use of words. Or an ambassador representing this country, representing a higher authority than himself. And of course, the UK lost its ambassador to America there last week in the dark. Um, he stated his personal opinion privately. That's his job. It was his opinion. But those opinions got leaked. And because words have power, his words disqualified him from his office. How much more should that principle apply to Christians? When we represent the higher authority, we represent the highest authority. We have to be conscious that our words, you may think, oh, I'm saying this privately, I'm saying, they could disqualify us from really representing the highest authority that we're called to do. Now, I can't stress this enough, but this isn't me coming, this is research, okay? This bit is research. Research says that on average, we spend 20% of our lives talking. Some people will be above average. Some people will be below average. And some people are way, way, way above average. You know, for some people, you know, 40 words a minute with gusts up to 70. Now, let me stress this. The research, the research says that women, and watch how carefully I've crafted this sentence. The research says that on average, women have a greater linguistic ability than men. I think I got, I got through that, okay, yeah? A greater linguistic ability than men. But that means, actually, in real life, it causes difficulty because many wives will feel frustrated because they feel that their husbands aren't communicating with them because we're not giving them the words back that they are giving to us. And so it says, why am I putting so much into this conversation and you're not contributing? Why, are you, why am I voicing my feelings in this and why are you not doing that? And at the same time, while she's frustrated at, not, at him not participating, he's sitting there thinking, boy, she is a nag. Why does, why, how many ways can you talk about a single thing? And so it leads to conflict. It leads to division. Words are important. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And how we use our words are important. Whether it's in our marriages, and we try to build bridges, and we try to build good communication, and we try to build support networks around each other, for each other with our words. Or we sort of cripple people and sort of go put pressure on them and squeeze them down. Now, words have two different qualities. And let me just work through them with us this morning. Words impact us on the inside. That's the first one. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can pierce deep. The whole idea of sticks and stones breaks our bones and words will never hurt us is just a nonsense 
It doesn't work. That's not true. And actually, it's a very dangerous lie to tell our children that the hurt that they feel when somebody bullies them and calls them names and says things to them, that 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 doesn't really count. That if they're hurt whenever people say things, then that's their weakness. It only compounds the hurt that other people have already put on them. Oh, no, no, that doesn't really hurt. Sticks and stones, name, words don't hurt us, but I'm hurt, so I'm broken. So actually, maybe they're right. Very dangerous. And people use words to threaten or intimidate, and so often, even with loved ones, we get angry, and in the moment of rage, we can say something, and because we know that person so well, because we know the things that... Uh, really just trigger them because we know their, their biggest flaws and their hang-ups we can get in there and we can destroy someone because we want to win the argument and then we hear the words coming out of our mouths and we re- immediately regret it and we're trying to catch those words and put them back in again and it's like trying to get the toothpaste back into the tube and it just isn't working because you can't the story that uh, we used in, in small groups a while back ago um, a woman was gossiping about her pastor. And she told people in the market the story. She told people in the, the, her neighborhood. She told people in her book club. She told people in the church car park. And yet she then discovered that the story that she'd been telling people was untrue. So she went to the pastor and she confessed and apologized. And the pastor said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Take a feather pillow, cut a hole in it, and then release the feathers in the marketplace, in the um, housing estate, in, in the hair salon, in, in the church car park, and all those places that you told that story, and then come back to me. So later on that day, she came back and says, I've did as you asked. And the pastor said, Brian, now go get all the feathers and put them back into the pillowcase. And I says, that, that's impossible. And the pastor says, and so it is to kind of undo the stories that you've been telling about me. So what will happen is that people end up digging holes for themselves and we say things like, oh, but that's not really what I meant to say. Or you see, what I was trying to say was, and we dig these holes that are deeper and deeper and instead of owning that we were wrong, instead of owning that we lashed out or we spoke in anger, we dig these deeper holes for ourselves. And really the truth is, what we really should be saying is, I am sorry. I really regret saying that. I was bang out of order. Not excusing it. Not trying to say, well, I was angry because, or I was trying to say this because. Just own it. And make it right. Words pierce. And it's getting worse because, I mean, something that's been in the news recently, because of all these social media stars, the, the YouTube bloggers, and whether it's, Instagram or whatever the platform is. From people on YouTube to contestants from game shows like Love Island or whatever it happens to be, the, the suicide rate of these things are going up. And that's scary. Because what's happening is in their desperate attempt for validation and acceptance and positive feedback, telling them that they're loved, telling them that they're handsome, telling them that they're pretty, telling them that they're loved, Whenever they hear the comments saying, saying, go kill yourself, when they're hearing the comments that are saying, uh, nobody likes you anyway, why are you still here? 
do us all a favor and go away. Negative, hurting words take the lives of vulnerable people. Words pierce right to the inside of us, and yet the, the positive is also true because Proverbs 16 tells us that gracious words are a honeycomb. They're sweet. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Words can be stabbing like a sword or can pierce like an injection bringing healing, bringing medicine that's going to fix what's inside. The right words can build up and encourage. Again, I was hearing about a couple in church and their pastor was preaching on this verse about the honeycomb. And uh, the wife kind of just nestled in on, on her husband's shoulder and took his arm and just goes, I just love the way your muscles ripple when you take out the bins. Yeah, clever, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, he's going, well, I mean, you know, I have been working out, you know. Now, it's a lot easier than saying, would you put out those bins? I asked you to put those bins out. And she's going, okay, I'm going to use positive words (laughs) to get what I want. Even with that, we need to be careful. Because gossip can start with positive, sweet-sounding words. Did you hear about so-and-so? No. What? Tell me. And they become like choice morsels. And they go down in the verse. And they go, we get just that wee flavor and go, oh, that tasted good. I need some more of that. You've given me the appetizer. Give me the main course. Give me the full story. Let me know what's going on here because it's human nature. We, we, we kind of crave that information. We kind of crave, we've got a part of the story. We want the whole story now. You know, I mean, I, I laughed. Ruth last night, she started watching a film and it was rubbish. I went to bed. But, you know, you kind of get a taste for it. It says, well, there's half an hour left. I want to see how it ends. It, it, rubbish. But I want to I see how it ends because I got that we choice morsel. I got that we taste on it. I want to I just know how it ends. Someone teases a wee bit of information. And for many people instinctively, well, yeah, I want to hear the rest of it. It's a tasty bit of food and it's the power of words. And it's how easily we can sow discord among people. You have a good friend and suddenly their attitude changes. That somehow overnight they stop replying to you just as quickly. Uh, maybe something has happened and you kind of go, what, what, what? why am I getting ghosted here? Why, why are they kind of just ignoring me? Nine times out of ten, it's because they've heard a choice morsel about you and have reacted to it. It might be true. It might not be true. That's not really how gossip works. Gossip doesn't really worry. It's a story. It's the power of words to get inside us because that's how humans work. We, we, we are story animals. We, we love stories. We just crave it. And I can give you facts and figures, but if I tell you a story, that's so much easier to grab hold of. And it's the power of the words to get inside us. In fact, a few verses after taking up about the words in the honeycomb, Proverbs 16 then tells us, a perverse person will stir up conflict gossip separates friends you want to know why teenage girls always fall out with each other because they love gossip 
They love the stories. They love the scandal. They love the... And that's why they're always falling out with people. That's why immature people are always falling out, because they put the gossip above the people. And when at our worst, we have the power to resonate with people in such a way that we can be destructive with our words, we also have the choice of well, actually, I want to be constructive. I want to build people up. Proverbs 10 says that the lips of the righteous nourish many. And that's, that's kind of just really powerful. So let me ask you this. What about your words this week? What about your words this week? Did you nourish anyone this week? There's plenty going on in our church. There's plenty of people who are going through, have had a tough week this week, busy weeks this week. Have you been nourishing with your words? Have you sought out people to nourish with your words? Or have you been more interested in telling stories? More interested in piercing? Maybe you didn't set out to pierce. I understand that, but maybe that's what's happened. What kind of words have you drifted towards in work? Do you drift towards the people that have the stories? And look, I know what it's like. It's not always going to be up to you. In an office, there'll be people who will be, or whether it's you know a construction kind of a forum, or you've got your school set friends and all the rest of it. But you do control the TV channels you watch. You do control the things that you read. You do control the what you consume in so many other aspects. What words do you consume? What do you drift towards? Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish theologian, uh, and he kind of was a bit of a radical, even for his uh, time. He died in 1855, which was 70 years before the television was invented in 1927. Yet here's what he says, and it's pretty much, he, he prophesies about the television being invented, but what do you see? So this is him, 70, 80 years before television was invented. He says, suppose someone invented an instrument a convenient little talking tube, which, say, could be heard over the whole land. I wonder if the police would not forbid it, fearing that the whole country would become mentally deranged if it were used. On the whole, the evil in the daily press consists in its being calculated to make, if possible, a passing moment a thousand or ten thousand times more inflated and important than it really is. And all moral elevation consists first and foremost in being weaned from the momentary. If Christianity is really to be proclaimed, it will become apparent that it is the daily press which will, if possible, make it impossible. What he's saying is the things that we consume will either help us or hinder us in living for Christ. If he thought the media was bad then, his, his head would be spinning today. Words can pierce inwardly. I said this other quality that words have though is that they can spread around us. Like sowing a seed, sowing discord will reap a harvest of discord and it will come back bigger. It will grow. That's what seeds do. You ever had something that you said a long time ago get thrown back into your face? You know, whether it's the kid said, but you promised. I did, but that was at a different time. That was at three in the morning. I'd have said anything to get you back to bed. But mom, you promised. But dad, you promised. <sighs> right, okay. 
because they're throwing your words back in your face. As a preacher, it happens to me all the time. Um, I speak for a living, and so uh, my words will be thrown back in my face all the time. Just hold on. In that other sermon, you said this. In that sermon, you said this. And people will say, well, Jeff, I remember. That's fine. And it's important then that I need to make sure that my words are carefully measured and are continually consistent. Proverbs 16 tells us that gracious words will promote instruction, but a scoundrel will plot, who plots evil and on their lips it's like a scorching fire. Words spread out. It's not just about me, my words. It's about the other people who hear them. It's about the other people who uh, respond to that. And gossip can be like a wildfire. And it's impossible to take back. And, and it plants a seed in someone's heart. And it impacts how people think about you. Let me give you a couple of scenarios. So imagine uh, you're at the prayer meeting this week, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Hope to see you there. But uh, on Thursday night, you are in a group. And there's a few of the elders that happen to be in your group. And um, one of the non-elders in your group says something along the lines like this in their prayer. Lord, I just want to pray for Jeff, our pastor. I know he's struggling with that sin, and I pray that you rescue him from it. A couple of things. Number one, that type of prayer isn't appropriate for a public prayer meeting. In public prayer meetings on Thursday nights, we pray for salvation of souls. We pray for the blessings of God to come down on people and for the work and for the ministry of the church. We don't air dirty laundry in public meetings. Second thing, that's actually a really good prayer. Please pray that. Not publicly, but please pray for that privately because we all struggle with sin. I'm no different. Of course I've got issues, things that I need to work on. Of course I do. So anyone not struggling with sin, anyone who doesn't appreciate someone praying for them for victory over sin, is either happy in their sin or struggling with the sin of self-righteousness. And these pray for anyway. Number three, whenever someone prays a prayer like that, the elders who listen to that, the other people in the group who are going to hear that will come away thinking, huh, I wonder what sin Jeff is struggling with. I wonder if it's something that's going to impact his ability to be our pastor. I wonder if it's going to affect his ability to preach faithfully and properly the word of God. Maybe we should guess what the sin is. Let's take a close look at his life. Let's start examining him to see what it might be, to see if we could figure it out. One prayer, one sentence, a couple of words. Seeds are sown. No, some people are looking at me differently. Words have a way of spreading out. Wildfire. Let me give you another scenario. And this is a true story. It's from Canada. A florist named Bill uh, from a small town. Now, this isn't our Bill who, who did flowers. This is a different one, um, very different continent and everything, okay? Now, he had a lovely little shop in a lovely little town. But as we all know, little towns are beautiful, but little towns love gossip. 
all right? Now, Bill was an owner, and he suddenly seemed to lose an awful lot of weight quite quickly. And people began to talk, and quickly the common consensus was, he's not well. And then he says, ah, well, he's got very gaunt eyes, quite pale. He must be sick. So the conversation immediately went to, I wonder what he has. And somebody said, well, I know somebody who had AIDS, and they looked very gaunt and very pale. So the rumor that started going around the town was that Bill had AIDS. I heard that. No, I think I heard that too. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, imagine. Oh, mm -mm -mm. That weekend, graffiti and homophobic remarks appeared on the flower shop. Customers disappeared. Orders went uncollected. They canceled orders. One lady drove up to the shop, uh, screeched to a halt outside the door, big coat on, big hat on, threw the envelope with the money inside the door and ran off and drove away. Didn't want to be seen associating with someone like Bill. Bill tried to tell people that he didn't have AIDS, in fact, that he wasn't sick at all. But the rumors persisted. The mayor tried to get people to calm down, but no one listened. The gossip had become the, 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 gossip had become the gospel. And Bill got tested and posted his clear uh, and bill of health on the shop window, but people denied how accurate it could be because, hey, there's no smoke without fire. We've all said that, haven't we? No smoke without fire. Long story short, Bill took his own life. The reason he had lost so much weight was because he had been dieting and was trying to win the affections of a young lady who had been coming into the shop. It wasn't AIDS that killed him. It was the gossip. Proverbs 10 says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It's a well. It's a place of refreshing. And if you remember the context of Scripture, that, that uh, a well in the Middle East was a precious, you know, there's nothing as precious as a source of water. And a well was a place where people would have communed around and gathered around. And it was the words of a righteous like that spring of water in a desert place. Source of life. It's nourishing. People gather there because they know the benefits of it, the value of it. I wonder, the words that you said this week, the words that you said to your spouse this morning in a rush to get out the church, or the kids to get them ready to come out the church, were they nourishing words that build them up? Or was it critical? Was it harsh? Was it joy-stealing, life-sucking? In my last church, there was a man in leadership, and I had heard stories of him from before I went to the church, how he was a wonderful, godly, godly man, and oh, you'll be blessed to have this man in your leadership. I had no reason to doubt that. I have still no reason to doubt it except in my seven years in employment there, he never once said anything nice to me. Never once. He rarely spoke to me at all. In fact, I was in my early 20s, finding my feet. I had never been in full-time church employment before. This was new for me. 
But instead of encouraging me, instead of helping me, I remember him saying to me in the car park of the church, your dad would be ashamed of you. Now, I know that wasn't true. I know it wasn't true, and I know it isn't true. Because I do talk to my dad. (laughs) But words can pierce. Words can be hard to forget. They can pierce into you, and they spread around you. That's why God takes these things so seriously. Six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination. See, the gospel, telling others about Jesus, is a ministry of the mouth. Yes, James is right. Words without actions mean nothing. We're not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Faith without uh, fruit, faith without deeds is dead, absolutely. But God has a right to be concerned about the quality of the mouth that's sharing the message. Because if you're hurting people in one sentence, then trying to tell people about Jesus from the same mouth, how can that be so? Can a source of water, can a well bring forth salty water and drinking water at the same time? No. In First Thessalonians 2, Paul is talking about the importance of the words. And, just as, um, and he says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. But we're not speaking to please men. We're speaking to please God. So instead of this being a sermon where it's like, okay, guys, cut out the negative words. Stop saying bad words. I want to flip it, okay? Don't just stay away from being negative with our words. Let's proactively chase after being encouraging with our words and speak words that will not only just not make God cross, but actually make God pleased. We're entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak. But we speak to please God. Can we make that commitment this morning? That this week, when we speak to people, especially the people that push our buttons, especially the people that get under our thing, especially when our kids come into us at 3 o'clock to say something stupid, we're going to say words that are going to please the Lord. tell people that they are loved to tell people that they are appreciated to tell people in our church that you actually recognize the amount of time that they put in and that faithfulness in that ministry whether it's music or whether it's cleaning or whether it's catering or whatever happens to be whether it's down in the crash or in the bible classes say you know what no I, i've never thanked you before i want to thank you for looking after the children of this church pouring the gospel into their lives. To tell the single parent, I admire just your work ethic and your consistency and your faithfulness in that task. I'm praying for you. You're praying that God will bring peace into the lives of those who are struggling. You're going to tell your children that you're proud of them. 
not just because they've done something that, uh, noteworthy, but just because of who they are. You're proud of them. You're going to tell your daughter that she's more loved beyond reasons than external beauty. You're going to tell your son that he's stronger than the muscles in his arms. Tell an enemy that they're forgiven. Tell a friend they're in need of a savior. To tell God, Lord, I surrender all. To tell God, not my will, but thine be done. Pleasing words. Pleasing words. Maybe I'll give you one more. Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've put other things in front of you. I've put I've, my, my life's all out of whack. It's all out of order. I am coming to you, and I'm asking for forgiveness. Either as a believer who, who's been a prodigal for a while and is coming back to God and saying, "Okay, I, I, I've been at home and I've been out in the world. I need to get back home," or maybe. You're someone who hasn't known God at all. And whatever reason it is that you're putting up, and these words are coming out of your mouth to excuse it and to justify it, to say, Lord, I've never known a love like this. I've never known a God like this. I've never known a faith like this. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. What words are you going to be saying? What, 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 what words are on your lips? May God challenge us with this. As we think about just the, the seed that we sow with our mouth. Uh, we'll pray, uh, and then we'll get the musicians up again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the...